0: So we begin the new series on the Life Divine, ongoing series. If I have to describe this book, there are several ways of describing this wonderful book, but if I have to describe in uh, the shortest phrase possible, I have to choose one phrase, then I would say it is the Book of God. And I am not saying this based on any uh, just uh, sentiments or feelings or But uh, on a real experience um, of a brief interaction with a group of people who belong to a certain uh, spiritual sect and they had… I was posted in Delhi this almost about 30 years or 28 years back. And they had come to me knowing about that this man has a little bit of crazy spiritual tendencies, so they wanted to convert me. (laughs) So (laughs) they came and… They started speaking about this experience, that experience, and if I could come and visit their center and all. I see, I really don't need, first I tried to very gently dissuade. And uh, then when they persisted, I said, see, I have certain questions. And uh, that's what I was seeking. I was not seeking an experience, but experiences came. (laughs) But it all started with a question. And so he, he said that, what are your questions? So I... I said, see, I have my answers now. He insisted. So I spoke about all that has been explained so far in all the books I had read of uh, Vedanta, Upanishad, and the Gita and mm, Western literature, quite a lot of it. Um, and uh, had turned agnostic at one point of time. And I said, see, uh, I have questions about karma, about punarjanam, about moksha and all that. This doesn't appeal to me, all the explanations that I find. I want the ultimate answer. I want, so he said, "Well, that only God can give. No guru can give. Only God can give." I said, "That's it." So on my table there used to be these two books, the Life Divine and Savitri. So I said, "God has given me the answer. <laughs> if you have these questions, <laughs> you can take it along." So the Life Divine is indeed the ultimate answer to the mysteries of existence and. Uh, What are these mysteries to start with? The first mystery is existence. Shabinder speaks of two mysteries. First is existence. Why anything exists? How it has come into being? Why it is there? Is there a purpose? Is it a random accident? As I read a very interesting book by a science journalist. He said the ultimate question which uh, no scientist is able to answer is why there is something instead of nothing? That has been my question, even to the Nirvana seeker. That, well, why there is something at all if nothingness is the first and last word of creation? So, existence is the first mystery. Consciousness is the second. It's not just uh, Jada prakriti We are there somehow, half-conscious creatures crawling on the globe, a little bit of uh, animal, a little bit. As Mother has said very beautifully. Man is one leg in animality, another is humanity. And yet is he a candidate for divinity? It's the most comprehensive summary of human beings. So existence and consciousness are the two original mysteries. And we have this story in, um, I think it is Shri One, when, when existence, Brahma, he is the one who builds existence. And Vishnu, consciousness. So when they both meet each other We know that background of the story Not going into the details And they say where have we come from So they pray and they, they seek the answer And this he It of course in Shiva Puran it is Shiva <laughs> And there is a logic to it Anyways, so he manifests himself As a huge column of light Here both of you have come from Then the problem starts, which is greater, which is better and all that is a different story altogether. So, he says, whoever finds the end of this column is greater. And as the story goes that neither of them could find, I am not going to say what happened later on because it's not a very good (laughs) Uh, end. But they couldn't find the end of this. So, there is an infinite light, Jyotir Brahma from which all this emerged. So this existence and consciousness is the first mystery of existence, of creation. But we seek answers for four things. Any philosophy should be able to touch upon these four elements. First of course, who am I? Man. That concerns us. The second is, what is this world we inhabit? This universe, which is with its appalling immensity. If you look at it from one point of view... That Carl Sagan's documentary, some of us who have seen, they say, This is the little home on which you are staying, not even a dot. That is one side of the truth. The other side of the truth is that this dot seeks to travel all across the universe. Whether we take the modern scientific approach, plumbing the depths, going into the skies, moving across, wanting to have uh, galactic travels, time travels, all this. So, this dot is one part, but there is another side to this dot that it can expand into infinity. So, what is this universe which invites us and uh, appalls us? If we, Nowadays, people use the word awesome. If there is anything really awesome, it is the universe. <laughs> awesome. Look at the way it is. It is very inviting. It is also, at the same time... Uh, it can induce fear in those who want to remain in little, uh, shrink into a little hole. So that's what the universe is. The third mystery, the third question which we need to know is where did the universe and we come from? Whether we are part of the universe or we need only one answer, where did this come from, as certain line of schools of thought say, or else if we have something called as an individual existence, this is a very interesting question. And often I had certain discussions with people that is there an individual existence at all or not? Because below humans, we have species. Lion does not say, I am Mr. So and so. Don't just call me a lion. I am a lion who is king of that particular jungle. He may feel like that. But his identity is the species. But in us, in human beings, we have other than just the identity as a humanity which many of us don't have, (laughs) we have also an individual identity. Individualities have been formed for what purpose? Is it an illusion? Does it serve a meaning and a purpose? This is one of the uh, questions, the third question that we need to know. That universe and individual, where does it come from? And the fourth, which inevitably comes logically from all this is, what is the relation between all these four? Are they disconnected? God is there, up there? Universe somehow is the product of some uh, Madam Maya who has walked into the scene and created this and the individual it doesn't exist, he's like the onion peel peel it at the end, you have nothing. These are the answers some of which we have been hearing but they are not satisfying to any person who wants to really, what are we really looking for? The grand reconciliation. So human thought cannot rest in halfway homes of Philosophy. So, often we see that people uh, say, no, 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 this is not, uh, this question has no meaning. When you reach there, you will know it is all maya. It's an illusion. So, the question is, why should I reach there when I don't exist? Only to discover that I never existed, I never was bound, I never was free, because there was no I except the one. <laughs> so, that's my… Why, why should anybody do an effort even to discover… At the end of the discovery, God knows who really discovered that this is an illusion. So these are the questions which come to the mind of anybody who does not spare the effort of thought. Which is one of the things that we as Indians need to uh, develop again because unfortunately or fortunately we have all the answers apparently. So we have no questions left. You ask anybody any question, oh please refer to this particular book, this Vedanta, this school of thought. So we have all the answers. But when we have all the answers, we know that um, uh, we don't grow. We have no questions. So, Sri though, raises questions for us. He has to do this double work in the life divine. So, people often compare it with the Gita. Well, the Gita is a book of practical philosophy. It's a wonderful book. I mean, if there is one book to be read in the entire ancient scriptures, one single book, I would say, yes, the Gita is… But then, there was limited time. Arjuna is a pragmatic person… He is interested in knowing Should I or should I not? His dilemma is not to be or not to be His dilemma is to act or not to act (laughs) And Sri Krishna takes him through many many questions He is the one who makes Arjuna raise the questions Like we know mother says once About the playground talks She used to literally throw the questions And she says why aren't you catching it? She wanted people to ask questions And people won't ask questions (laughs) So now Arjuna had limited time, Shri Krishna had limited time, there was an exigency, so questions were still. He made Arjuna ask questions as a prototype humanity and Shri Krishna answered. So he is both the questionnaire and the uh, one who answers. But there are many questions that have been left unanswered. Also because the flow of time has created many new things have come into existence. There were no mobiles in the time of Arjuna to question, sir, but see the marvels of modern science, what do you have to say about it? (laughs) They were technology of a different kind. But there are many things which have been discovered, time has flown, there is a forward movement. Material science has discovered many things that it stands on the threshold of a material agnosticism, just as it reached the material monism. We talk about all these... uh, Terms which come in the life divine and material agnosticism. Science says that, well, after saying that all this world is a single mesh and net of an energy which has taken a body as matter, I don't know what is beyond. It's a kind of agnosticism. Just like in spiritual seeking, we reach a point where we uh, have this agnosticism. Thought climbs, climbs, climbs. At one point it says, I can't go further. I need support. So, Shwabindo gives us the support. And in the life divine, he he raises the questions. Where will he find another Arjuna who will ask such questions? So the style of the life divine, which some people compare as Purva Paksha and Uttar Paksha, uh, I, I don't feel that way. I feel that Survindu ra- actually he raises the questions, then he answers, then he raises more questions on the answer, then he answers, <laughs> then he raises more questions. So, people often say, why should I go into this exercise? Very simple. Several reasons. One reason, very simply, he has taken so much pains to give it to us, the least we can do is to read it. (laughs) He knows best. Imagine, Savitri, of course, we know he worked for, uh, I mean, that's a story in its own, own right. But the life divine itself, from the 1916 till 1919, he has worked on the life divine. But then it is one book which Sri revised extensively. Other than Savitri, this is one book. And of course, Ilion, he wanted to revise and make it final, but that never happened. But with the life divine, again he took it up in 1931 and he continued till 1940. We had the, uh, some kind of book form available. Many of the chapters in Arya, the, this book is in two parts. Now it is known as part 1, part 2 We can equally call it book 1, book 2 So in book 1 He revised the first 28 chapters He revised them lightly 27 chapters And added a 28th chapter But in book 2 Extensively revised He discarded some 12 chapters Brought in 14 new chapters So like that The revision was very extensive And toward the end Six new chapters which were completely new, they were not there in the area. That's why often it is said that if you really want to read the life divine, um, if one is in a uh, quick mode, though it is not a book to be read like that. So the last six chapters and mother has given a commentary also on that. Why? Because it concerns us with the journey forward. So this is the second aspect of the life divine. And we should read it simply because look at Sharvindos. Imagine a mother makes very nice fr- food to make us eat. And we tell her, but mama I want two minutes Maggie. She is, look at how Shurabindu has prepared this. It's a wonderful dish. And not only that, Even if we take it, the other way to take it is that it's a journey on which he takes us. It's a tour where Shurvindu holds us and takes us through every little detail of creation. Nowhere else we find this kind of detail. He will reveal to us what really is an atom, what is a universe, what are these galaxies spinning in space. They are essential knowledge and all that it contains. So we'll see he describes it just as somebody who will... Uh, take us you know to a uh, I mean I have my little bit uh, favoritism for south Indian temples because they are so rich in content so it will take us through every little detail look at this temple architecture so it describes us the universe in that way every brick where has it come from for instance we say matter what is matter where has it come from we speak of life we describe what is life where does it emerge from we speak of mind what is mind Where did this material for the mind come? So all this he describes in great detail and at great length. So it's also the life divine is a temple. But it's a temple which is not fixed where the deity is fixed. It shows how the temple is itself sailing upon the sea of time and as it is sailing it is carrying us on a huge wonderful journey. And where is that journey leading us? Is there a goal to this existence? We all want to know. That's, I think, a basic something. And imagine telling us a youngster at 20, 21 that the goal is nirvana. So, what kind of a, you know, he will say, very good, thank you so much. He'll go and tell his parent, I don't want to take up a job. You know, Swamiji has told me my goal is nirvana. Why should he do anything at all? Asceticism, all these tendencies which came later on, post Vedantic understanding or misunderstanding because that's not how the Vedas their Vedas are rich with life every aspect of life but in Upanishad we see it picks up the Gyan kant, leaves the Karam Khan. so in Gyan Kan it goes more and more into that meditative states and ultimately the highest the supreme so the grand reconciliation which thought seeks is lost we don't find it except in the Isha Upanishad So, Shobindo says that if there is a basis of the life divine, we find it in the Isha Upanishad. And from 1912 onwards, he wrote several small little, um, not essays, but few passages on arguments in the life divine. Then he has not written life divine, but obviously that there should be a divine life, and he is writing arguments. And then subsequently, he has revised it, some of these. Essays are incomplete. Very beautiful. So where was he in 1912? In terms of his yoga, he had arrived at the experience of Nirvana, that uttered stillness, 1908. He had ex- arrived at the grand, greatest experiences that um, the rarest of yogis have, Vasudevam Sarvamiti, that is 1909, when he is in the Alipur jail. And then he has arrived at dwelling for 18 hours in Parabrahman as he writes in one of his letters in 1912 to Motilal Roy after that 1914 he starts writing The Life Divine so when we say it's a book of philosophy or it's a philosophy I feel it is really bringing many several notches down the value of this work philosophy in the western context is Stretching of thought, starting with material data, you stretch it and you try to arrive at some finality. In that process, thought may remain connected with the first data, it may change its data, new data it may bring in or it may completely disconnect from the data and enter into its own flights. So the life divine is not that, it's the other way around. It is philosophy in the Indian sense where it is called as darshana. It is seeing. So, nowadays uh, people often, you know, say that ancient times the rishis used to meet and debate and discuss. <clears throat> Almost you make them look like TV, uh, you know, people who have been called. And Shurabinder says, no, this is not true. They did not meet to debate and discuss. They met to expand knowledge. So, they did not put the question, Shurabinder says, what do you think about it? They were not asking viewpoints and opinions. They did not say, what do you think? They asked, what do you know? And there is a fundamental difference between the two. So it is not through thought, effort of thought that Sri arrived at some kind of a construction which he is giving to us. Such a construction would not have an enduring value. Rather he arrived at the vision of what life is, what creation is. As he says himself that his philosophical base initially was from the Upanishads and the Gita But his spiritual experiences went along the lines of the Vedas Which he read later and found confirmation of his spiritual experiences And then when he went beyond and beyond He did what any uh, thinking creature would want to do To reconcile all that we experience in life This is what our thought seeks To reconcile this world And the creator To reconcile my life With the world around me Or at the least level To reconcile With the next person Living with me Thought needs reconciliation It's an innate Tendency within us But we have been teaching Divorce Separate This world Leave aside Give to the scientist What is due to the scientist Give to The ascetics What is due to the ascetics But Human mind cannot rest content with that It's so strange that knowledge Which has brought out this universe Can be known by scientists who don't have that knowledge Strange If there is any knowledge Worthwhile Eternal knowledge It should be able to tell us Even about this material creation That's what is said about the knower of Brahman In our scriptures that Yasmin vijyate vigyati sarvam Knowing which all else can be known So when we read this book, this is what we see. Shobindo uses thought. Why does he use the thought? Because we are here. What does he do? He holds our hands and tells us, come this way I am leading you. But he is like a magician. So as you are climbing, putting one foot over the other, then suddenly you discover that suddenly he has taken us here. And you wonder how? And he will reach there and say, see? This is the link. It's so amazing it's, it's actually very fascinating to read this book The third reason why should, we should read it is It's a beautiful way And a simple way To develop the human intelligence To reach at least the confines of the divine mind Reading the life divine is very uplifting Very, very uplifting It literally picks us up It stretches us by the neck Holding the choti Towards that infinity. But we have to persist in the labor. Nothing, you know. So it's a tapasya in its own right. And the simplest of reason, it will develop our intelligence. At the minimum, we all should... So the live divine reading, the live divine is wonderful for many reasons. Of course, it doesn't uh, speak about the practical aspects of the yoga, which he has left for other books. Mainly it was the synthesis and then of course letters on yoga. What about Savitri, the one which we have been? <laughs> I look at it like this, that the life divine is like that living light which manifested existence and consciousness, Brahma and Vishnu to tell them where they have come from. So the life divine is the living light. This uh, literally my experience of bluish white light, like a Ganga coming from the highest heights which you cannot see. Touching right down into the inconscient which we cannot see. It is like that. And Savitri is when that light begins to dance and pulsate. So it brings out a music. and thralls, Fills us with rapture. Captures our heart. So this is how I see the two books. Of course Savitri is unparalleled. Mother herself said, it is the message. But in... All the other works, the life divine does occupy the most unique position uh, in Sri writing. Savitri is a story, so it becomes easier to connect with the story. The life divine is more like the boardroom, when they have the story which is being made. So it is like story which Sri reveals to us but through the mind, at the domain of the mind. So it already has a high starting point. But at the same time, because Sri never loses touch of the earth, it actually, and I am saying this with all earnestness, most of the passages are very simple, connected right with this earth. So, we should read it and as I said, if we have to follow this path and have all the answers, why we need the answers, some people even say that. So, that, that is the last question. Why we should have all the answers? I have love for mother and shirvindu. That's enough. Yes, love can give all the answers. How? Because the door of knowledge can open. But at the same, there is a knowledge which comes from the heart. There is a knowledge which pours from above. But at the same time, poor mind also needs. It says, I too want my food. (laughs) It would tell the heart, I am happy to see you happy and I know you are in an unenviable position because you hold the direct key. But I too need, sir. What is my fault? I know I fell from the paradise because I ate half the apple. And since then, everywhere we see only half the apple. Even... (laughs) Why? Because the other half is hidden in heaven. (laughs) That's the problem, no? (laughs) I was saying the other day, you know, Steve Jobs. Neem Karoli Baba ate the apple and gave him as a prasad. So he put that as the logo. And... Therefore he says Very interestingly I have my own interpretation of his last words Stay hungry Stay foolish Wonderful Because that other half Which the Baba ate <laughs> Such is incomplete without that other half That other half of the apple Or if you take the Adam and Eve story The apple was bit there And he carried something The seed of knowledge And came down now he has to reclaim that other apple which he left there. So you see, any which way we look, we need to have the complete understanding of this creation, not divide it into two as we have been doing. De- doing This world is Maya, whatever else. And the best part before we just enter into it, it's something which I have never understood. I have seen and it comes on televisions, it comes everywhere. Swamiji's. With all due humility, with all the full malas and with all the purses and bank accounts teaching this world is maya. So if somebody asks them, but sir, why are you asking money for these courses? To empty maya from you so that you can be freed of the maya, I'll take the burden of the maya is something which has always escaped at least you know my simple understanding simple logic if the world is maya whom are you teaching maya in the sense it is understood not maya as it is which Shovinda will reveal to us if it is really an illusion then whom are you teaching that it's an illusion the only Upanishad which very powerfully tries to reconcile is the Isha Upanishad and Shirobindo says that it is the foundation of the life divine and it is so powerful that there have been interpreters Who have completely They have said it doesn't exist, it is not an Upanishad, it is something else And of course the great commentator I am not going to name him Om Shirovinda says God laughed thrice <laughs> So when he interprets the Isha Upanishad there are Sentences or rather verses which are difficult to explain on the basis of traditional Vedanta, which declares the world as illusion. So he literally tweaks the word to give it a meaning which is not there in the word itself. So we can imagine. But it's the only Upanishad which tries to reconcile. Yet it stops short because the ultimate vision is missing. The Rishi reaches that point where he says, I want to see that ultimate truth. Whose law operates here? Satya dharmaya Drishtaye. Remove that veil, remove that cover. I want to see that truth, the ultimate, the most auspicious. If you may use your Windows uh, Gayatri, I want to see that. Why he wants to see it? So that I can know the law of truth, Satya dharmaya Drishtaye. How it operates in the world, the workings of truth in this world which I can't understand. And then when it describes the divine being, it describes as without sinews, pure, faultless, without blemishes. So, Bintur says that, you know, this is a question which comes again. If that is the truth, then what is this world? And how much ever we may short-circuit bypass this question, we will return to it again and again. And this is what we see today after a whole period when mankind has explored... Matter, explore the limits of thought. We are coming back to this original question, which seeks reconciliation. With that, we can at least, uh, or even before we enter into the very first passage, the plan of the architecture of book is. This book is very interesting. It's very fascinating. So we have book one, where he just describes the fundamental building blocks of creation. Omnipresent reality and the universe So there is a reality which we are told is everywhere But he will not just take it as because we are told He will reveal to us How, why Can we arrive at it as a very legitimate logical conclusion Because we are told God is everywhere And we take it by faith it's Wonderful But when we see Draupadi is Vastraharan. We don't understand where is God. Draupadi understood because Draupadi, had, she is a yogini. But otherwise we can't understand how this reality. Scientists tell us one thing. The ascetics tell us another. But we are caught between the two. Like the story of uh, Khalid Gibran says that where a uh, child had died and the father asked a doctor, why did my child die? Died. So the doctor said, you know, there are very, very small germs, infinitesimal in size. Because of these infinitesimal things, your child has died. He is not satisfied. Infinitesimal things, they can kill us. So he went went to a uh, spiritually oriented person. Why did my child die? And he said, it is the will of the infinite So the man comes back and says, between the infinitesimal and the infinite, someone is taken. (laughs) Taken away, I don't know whom to ask now. So you see, we need to understand what lies between the infinitesimal and infinite. So omnipresent reality is the infinite. And this universe or universes, system of universes built of infinitesimal particles, buttressed one upon other, creating system of worlds. So, he explains that. And here again we will see, the first six chapters or seven chapters will tell us, orient us. It's like, you know, when you are going to Matri Mandir, there is an orientation video because you don't know what is, what are you standing in front of. So, it orients us, uh, what we are seeking What we have found till now, what is yet to be found, what is unreconciled, all this will come. Then he will take us to the beginning of the beginning or beyond the beginning. So, what is that origin? Pure existence, Sat, Chit, conscious force, Ananda, delight. But Ananda creates a problem. The moment you say Sat and Chit is okay, but Ananda, we experience. Either nirananda or joy and pleasure and pain. So he takes a delight, the problem, delight, the solution. (laughs) So he gives us right then and there. And after that, he takes us to something which is his own unique discovery. Because this has been discovered. Shorabindu identified himself with the divine and he wrote this, but many have been identified with the divine. It's true, but they have identified with God by leaping into... What the Isha Upanishad says A glad divine abyss They lived Satchidanand is everywhere And they say all is Satchidanand But The step from which they stumbled onto it They can't connect it Somehow by an intense inner Withdrawal They touched that core And they declared That God is everywhere but then what is this? This was a problem. So there have been ways to explain it away. It is not God's problem. He created this world very nice. You have destroyed it. It makes very, you know, it's a very poor kind of... <laughs> Are but natural question is somebody will ask, but who created us, sir? We didn't come suddenly on the scene. Somebody created us. Yes. He created you and filled you with all the good things. You didn't manage. So nobody taught us, they only taught us to compete in the exams. Blame my parents, yes. So this is how the story goes. Which is, we know, very unsatisfactory as Amitabh Bachchan once asked his father, that dad, somebody blamed me today, that why are you like this? And the only answer I could think is that because you are responsible for it. So father took the question, real story. He said, I'll answer you tomorrow. (laughs) Next day he said, you know my child, he wrote it very poetically. He said, actually you know, it's true that you are what, you know, I have made you what you are today. But I also don't know who made me. I blame it on my father. And so it goes on to the heavenly father. And when we go to heavenly father He says I don't know How you have come into existence Don't disturb me with your questions You can come here and dwell with me So summary dismissal With an option left That he can draw you into his Heavenly home And those who are selfish this Mother says misguided mysticism They say okay why should I bother About what happens to others Somehow I have reached It's a misguided mysticism It's the last illusion so he brings in this link, the supermind as creator. He defines also. So next time, if anybody says, "What is supermind?" Supermind is creator. It's simplest. So what is Sachidanand? Sachidanand, when he enters into the poise of creator, is supermind. When he withdraws from that poise of creator into his own. Whatever it be, then we say that, you know, Shiboham, Shiboham, he has no relation with it. But the same, it is, the same divine, he enters into the poise of creation. So, he is omnipresent, omniscience, all this starts there. So, we have, he explains all this about supermind, all the levels, we will come to it. And then, of course, the soul within us. And then he describes what is this world made up of. And now you see how, what is the plan He is going. Normally in philosophy you go from here to there. Srivabindo is starting from the creator and coming to the creation, which is the most logical way to explain. If there is a truth in the Ashwath tree. So he takes up these chapters, mind and super mind, life, death, desire, incapacity, problem of life. Ascent of life, matter, not of matter, right down below, and then how the ascent will take place. So it's a beautiful way he has put it together, stitch the entire creation with the Creator. And then we have book two, the knowledge and the ignorance. So here he reconciles all the opposites, divine and the undivine eternal and the individual, all these things which we need to reconcile to understand what life is about. Knowledge and ignorance, why there is ignorance, reality and the illusion, all these reco- uh, reconcile. And finally, part two, the knowledge and the spiritual evolution, what next, what is going to happen, what is going to come. So all this is described Is the entire blueprint and the road map which the Divine comes now and gives it to us why now why he didn't give it earlier because perhaps the divine thinks believes knows that now we are ready to undertake the further journey the fact that the life divine has appeared is a sign that we are ready to undertake the evolution next so what that evolution is and he starting from human aspiration goes through all these different layers levels order of the births, rebirth, all these things. And at the end, it takes us to the divine life, the Gnostic being and the divine life. So it, it is all sewn together in a wonderful, with rich uh, brocades, with the threads of the halo of the sun. That's how I would put it. That these are the threads from the halo of the sun with which he has written this book which is book and yet no book, but an invitation and an entry. So, let's at least enter into book one, Omnipresent Reality and the Universe. And he starts with the human aspiration. Actually, life begins with aspiration. Without aspiration, there is very little difference between a human being and an animal. I mean, of course, we are look-alikes, but there is a difference. Human beings, by their very nature, seek to know. They are seekers. They have a quest. Without this quest and seeking, just wanting some comfort zones, wanting to fulfill our ambitions uh, or whatever desires, that is not yet a human existence. It is largely like an animal existence. What marks us distinct is not speech, though speech is a very developed, evolved thing. Very developed. And yet it is that seeking which takes the form of speech Of prayer in the heart Of poetry in words So this aspiration And we will see in the beginning of every chapter shivindu gives a quotation from the Vedas, the Upanishad or the Gita And there is a history to it The chapter that follows is not an interpretation of the quotation To start with He wrote the chapter As it came to him, every day, just imagine, every day he would write the same day as it has to go next day to print. So he was not thinking and, okay, I have to write, what should I write? So he was writing like that. Later on, he would add a quotation so that people connect those who are from a traditional background that these things are there, hinted. Even in the scriptures, this he clarifies, that it's not that I read the Vedas and the Upanishads and I wrote this. He saw and he wrote and later on he found hints which are scattered in the Vedas, the Upanishads and the Gita. So he takes them up and at the right place puts it there. Later on, basically he chose from a list of quotations which were chosen by Puraniji. He took out a whole lot of quotations. And Sherbindo picked and chose from them. So this should be very clear, it's not that. And then he starts the grand opening. We have this, uh, you know, any theater you go, the opening matters. And that opening scene of the life divine is so wonderful. And that opening scene is the human aspiration. Real life, real story begins from there. And we all know, if you look back at our lives... There was a life before aspiration was born. See, Savitri also starts with this. From the darkness, aspiration is born. And what does that aspiration do? Heedless mother of the... As, like a hip finger. Asking the heedless mother, material mother, Wake up, wake up. And then all grew a consecration of enderite. So we see the birth of aspiration, first canto. And it starts with the symbol dawn. So here also... Life begins with aspiration, but not that Shurvinda will leave all else unexplained, he will explain everything. But the real life begins with aspiration, and life divine has to be read with an aspiration. Though it is true that it fulfills the mind and its quest, but to read it like you know, with a dictionary in hand, just most of the language is uh, words wise, my own. Uh, experiences and impression is It's quite simple The long sentences are there Because Sri wants us to give the Complete truth So for example If somebody asks me Where are you going Where is the talk going to take place Or let us say Let me give a more better Somebody asked today Where is the ashram So I can say here is the ashram That's one kind of understanding of the ashram but there are many other things intertwined why am I going to the ashram what really is the ashram we can keep discovering it for years and decades like Pavitra after 20 years his friend said asked him you said you are going to the ashram to, to meet Sri Aurobindo. no ashram was there you said you will see and come back what has happened are you still there and he says I am still seeing it 20 years, I am still seeing it. So the life divine can be read, reread. If Shubhinder is labored number of times, as I say about Savitri, it is good to know that he rewrote it 12 times. We should at least read it 15 times to justify <laughs> our existence. And it is never too late to start. So let's read this quotation from the Rig Veda as we know Rig Veda, the beauty of the Vedas is not one person book and this is something a great strength of Sanatana Dharma and I keep telling we are not one book one founder why? because our founder is infinite divine and he spoke through many a seers and sages and therefore his, the word that he has to speak can never be over It will keep coming because the source is infinite. And therefore we have number of books which come. And equally we say there is not one founder and there is no one scripture. And yet we see because it's the same who is speaking but he is infinite. So in different ways. So in the language of the Vedic Rishi, we have the Usha, the dawn in Savitri. Sri is writing, wrote only the English quotations. Uh, later on the Sanskrit was brought, taken out by Puraniji and later on he brought a whole list of quotations from which he chose. So we will see in the original uh, text, the, uh, there will be a footnote and one can go back and refer those who are interested. So it begins with human aspiration. So life divine is a journey, it starts with aspiration, ends with the Gnostic being. So, what we have to keep on remembering is aspire and aspire and aspire. Through every challenge, every difficulty, aspire, aspire. There is nothing which can be denied eventually to aspiration. And whatever we aspire is already been granted. This was asked to the mother, she said, my child, because you aspire, it means it has at another level already been granted. So, we are smart disciples of uh, uh, the ultimate master. So, the disciple asked, why should we aspire then? It has already been granted. (laughs) So the mother said, my child, don't you want to take the delight? See, it adds an intensity to creation, human aspiration. And that's the beauty of it. This aspiration, see, human beings have another unique thing, we can pray. It adds a certain intensity, a touch of love. Divine will grant us, but... Will we really value? will be like that child who wants Maggie noodles when the mother has prepared a very nice meal. So let's read about this aspiration as is given in the Rig Veda. She follows the, to the goal of those that are passing on beyond. So she makes us, fills us with the urge for progress. This is what dawn does. Night is the symbol of, oh, now I want a peaceful rest. And what does the dawn remind us? It energizes us. Things to do. So She, those who are passing to beyond. She is the first in the eternal succession of the dawns that are coming. That's why Srivabindra reminds us in the Gita, we do not belong to the dawns of the past, but to the noons of the future. There is no one dawn, one enlightenment. So the Vedic Rishi speak about several levels through which we climb At each level the sun seems very different It's the same sun But we cover it in different ways It has its own beauty, its own grandeur So she reveals herself to us in different ways And then he names her Usha The first goddess whom the Vedic Rishi is invoked Usha bringing out that which lives awakening someone who was dead just imagine and that's why it is so important to aspire without aspiration we are as good as dead of course we have respiration but no aspiration we are leading a life on ventilator until we have learned how to really expand our lungs with the breath so what does dawn do? she opens wide vistas before us. So when aspiration is born, suddenly new vistas open, things which we had not known and we want to know. So this is how it opens before us. I'll just finish this, then we'll close because today we'll have only one session because there is a movie and so early dinner. So Usha widens, bringing out that which lives. We thought it was dead when we are in a state of withdrawal from this universe. Nothing exists except some dream images. Then we come up, we see, oh my God, so much to live, so much to be, so much to grow, so much to progress. What is her scope when she harmonizes with the dawns that shone out before and those that now must shine? So what does memory do? Memory goes back yesterday, day before yesterday and we move forward in terms of thought tomorrow, day after tomorrow. So this dawn is a meeting point of what must come. It is also a meeting point of the past dawns. This is in our physical experience but same thing in our inner experience of life. And in If you have to render in psychological terms this word aspiration, it takes many forms, thirst, seeking, longing or a simple word progress. Minimum for human beings is progress. If one is not wanting to progress, that's why I personally feel when mother said no degrees, it's such a beautiful thing. You know, it may sound strange, but people stop the moment they have degrees. After that they are hurrying to put it in their biodata. I am doctor so and so. Finished. I am an engineer so and so. I am a lawyer. In Punjab they say lawyers. <laughs> this is a joke by Shurvidh, the original one. So this is, we stop. Now I have the degree. I know. What do others know? But when we don't have a degree... We are very fortunate. So those who don't have a degree are the real fortunate ones because they are progressing. Those with degree are finished. They have captured it in their uh, what is that called, card or identity. So stay hungry, the other part is stay foolish. That's what it means. So, see, that's another way to put it. This on his, you know, closing on death, he says that It is so beautiful. He put, he didn't use the word aspiration. He said stay hungry, stay foolish. To seek to know more. To be more. And this can only come when we have the humility. What is her scope? When she harmonizes with the dawns that shone out before and those that now must shine. She desires the ancient mornings and fulfills their light. How does she fulfill the light of the ancient mornings? See, we heard that beautiful uh, rendering of in Das music Asadoma Sadgamya, Tamasoma Jyotirgamya, Mrityurma But one day when light comes, it is fulfilled. That which we wished, hoped, longed to be, it is fulfilled. And with this fulfillment, new longings. After the Ram Mandir, Mathura <laughs> Kashi. I mean, no political. But that's how human consciousness moves. There is a long journey. In the night you are longing. And dawns come but you have not reached. You keep asking when, when, when. Which dawn will take me to that peak? Like that film, Uchai. Okay, let me put it in a secular example. Then one day the dawn comes and when he feels most helpless, he finds fulfilled. Then when he looks back, all the other dawns, All the events of his life Most of all the loss of somebody he loved So dearly And how Because of it and everything ultimately He has this grand dawn which fulfills So you see There is a dawn which fulfills And that's why we must continue to strive There is a beautiful poem of Sri Aurobindo where he says I have a thirst And the thirst presupposes water In my life I may never find old nature sits a phantom on the way old habits return and then he says i shall not faint o lord i have the thirst and the thirst presupposes water somewhere maybe in this life i may not find but are there not lives beyond us see this is the beauty of indian idea of rebirth we never die we rise from the pyre and return from the grave To continue this journey. Till we find the dawn which fulfills the past. So this is the one scope. Projecting, but this is not the end. Projecting forwards her illumination. She enters into communion with the rest that are to come. This is aspiration. It's light and the morning which comes, it connects us to past. Isn't it that... When aspiration comes, we suddenly make a new sense of our life and its journey. No psychiatrist can explain. But aspiration, oh, okay, 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 this is what happened, that's how it happened. It makes sense, thank you God, you gave me the trouble, thank you so much. (laughs) But when you are going through it, there is night. What should we do during the night? Aspire. And when the dawn comes, it will be... Fulfilled. But what happens? Now where do I go further with this experience, with this wealth that I have with me? That is the journey. And we'll begin that journey tomorrow with the human aspiration. Today we read about something from the Veda. How beautiful. It's something so beautiful to just meditate upon. That we aspire through the night until the light comes. There's a small little story about it. Four candles... At night, they were burning And one candle says Ah, see Because of first there is light Second says full Don't flatter yourself The light will come When day breaks Third says day? Who has seen the day? I have never seen the day And the fourth says I have also not seen But I have heard about it And I would rather burn Throughout the night Till the day comes And I merge with that of which I am a little portion. This is aspiration. And this what dawns come to remind us that night is left behind. Let's march forward towards endless, through endless doors converging on the infinite. So we'll meet tomorrow, same time, 5.15. From tomorrow, unless except for the day when we have... dining room early. Let me put the practical aspect or a program. (laughs) Otherwise, we'll have two sessions, 5.15 to 6 and 6.15 to 7. And 23rd, there will be a uh, session in Savitri Bhavan, like a summary session, like every year. Um, So, those who are interested, earlier I used to take the name on the 20th but because as we know, Sradhavan is not there and Helmut wants to organize and he has said, if it can come a little early, I'll be happy to organize the transport. Thank you so much. We meet tomorrow with a new dawn.